Welcome to TBN's Praise Podcast, hosted by Matt and Lori Crouch, where you will hear interviews with some of your favorite Bible teachers, pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. On today's show, Matt and Lori host author, speaker, and spoken word artist Jackie Hill Perry to discuss how you can contend for your faith in today's culture. Praise comes to you today from beautiful Southern California today. Jackie Hill Perry, what are we unpacking uh, for the next one hour? Yeah, uh, the book of Jude. Uh, it tends to be ignored. We treat it like the stepbrother that nobody likes uh, with pimples on his face. Uh, but God gave us this book because he gave us his scriptures. Uh, it's right before the book of Revelation. Super tiny. It's only 25 verses. That might be why it's unappealing to us. We tend to lean on the Psalms for our encouragement, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but I think Jude has a lot to say about the things that we deal with as Christians in 2020. Uh, one of the primary things that Jude wants to to deal with is contending for the faith. To contend is to fight. The faith is not, you know, the subjective experience of, oh, I have faith in Jesus. The faith being the essentials of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that there is a such thing as sin, that Jesus died for sin, that grace is not an excuse to sin against God, that God will return. Essential things. And Jude writes this letter to these people saying, hey, I wanted to write y'all something else, but I think that it's actually necessary to challenge you to start contending for the essentials of the faith because God's glory depends on it. Mm. Okay. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) (laughs) I have loved her since the moment I met her. And the first time I ever heard Jackie, um, she didn't have that, you didn't have that much long, that long to speak. No. And she started talking about the book of Jude, you know, and, and it's true. Everything she just said is true about the book of Jude. You just kind of breeze over it to get yeah. the revelations if you dare, if you dare. <laughs> and um, you, you went right to um, now to keep. Yeah, the doxology. Yes, yeah. the doxology. And oh, my Lord, tears just started streaming out of my face. And yeah. she's got a brand new uh, Bible study on the book of Jude that I recommend to everybody to get it, but everything um, Jude talks about is so relevant yeah, to now. Yeah, because what made me want to write the study is that I always loved the doxology. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Amen, amen, right? Amen. Um, but my question... <laughs> yes. <laughs> my question was, what preceded that? Yeah. Why do we end there? What is, why would you end on praise? What is the point of the letter? And I think when you start to talk about contending for the faith, really Jude is challenging to contend with your friends, to contend with your pastors, to contend with your Bible study leaders, people of influence and prominence that might have been the seminary, but it doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Mm. And so that's the tension where you have these people that are very intelligent and very smart that I respect, that have influence, that may be teaching things that are unbiblical. And so the challenge or the discouragement can come where it says, if they can fall away from the faith, what hope do I have? And so I think Jude wants to then end it by saying, no, now to him who is able to mm-hmm. keep you, it won't be what you know that keeps you. It'll be who you know mm. that keeps you. So, Okay. This, um, you know, I have to admit I have a kind of a soft spot in my heart for this book because, you know, when you're, when you're lear- learning the book of the Bible song, mm-hmm. you know, you go, third dawn, Jude and Revelation, you know, that whole mm-hmm. thing. 
I always just remember that when you hit Jude, you're basically almost done. So there's this really (laughs) familiar kind of sweet, you know, kind of feeling. But really what Jude is doing is sending out what he feels is kind of a yellow flag or red flag warning. Yeah. Um, So this book was written contextually as a warning about doctrine that was shifting Going or moving unnoticed. or things. Uh, off camera, it feels like this book was written for 2020 mm-hmm. uh, and that this Bible study, which just go to Amazon or wherever and get it, but, um, but the, let's, let's start with Jude's day. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel he was waving this yellow or red flag in regard to specifically then? Yeah, well, if you look at verse three, he calls them friends and he says, hey, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, common salvation being the salvation that we all share, which is a really noble thing to write about. Who doesn't want to write about salvation? Who doesn't want to write about what Jesus has done for us all, that Jesus has made a way for people to be saved from the wrath of God? But he actually sees that there is a more necessary thing to talk about, which is that there are people in the church, specifically him, he said that there are people in the church who are unnoticed, who are perverting the grace of our God into licentiousness, which is to say that there are people in your church, in your midst that you don't see, that are teaching you that because God is so gracious, you have the freedom to sin in whatever way that you want. And we've heard that before, you know. God is a forgiving God. God gonna forgive me everything. And you think that that should be an excuse to live in a way that is anti-God. But in Titus, we already know that the truth is, is that God's grace actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness. There is no way that you have come in contact with the lavish grace of God and that you can then turn your back on him. To me, that says you don't actually know him. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Mm. To know him and to know his love and to know his grace and to know his mercy means that I am desperate to actually please please him as best I can. Mm. And so I I think what Jude is uh, attaching or attacking uh, in his context is so much similar to what we're uh, dealing with now. Well, I think it's it's what Jesus said to the to the lady in adultery. Yeah. Said, go and where are your accusers? Yeah. Okay, so no one's accusing you anymore. Go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Which speaks to that grace doesn't just eliminate the penalty of sin, mm-hmm. right? Because she should have been stoned. The law says that all sin deserves death. So what the Pharisees were saying was actually a right understanding of what her penalty should be. But when he says go and sin no more, he not only removes the penalty, but he empowers her to actually not walk in the same way. Right. And so we see that grace removes penalty and empowers you to do the impossible, which is to live holy. Gives you the ability because he wouldn't have said that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Or it would be unfair. Right. Go and sin no more. How? Right. Yeah. Because I'm going to die. I'm going to send my spirit to help you. Mm, so. so good. Oh, no, I agree. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I love this girl. <laughs> She's going to be on Better Together tomorrow, too. And I'm so excited. I'm excited. <laughs> so what do you think, um, you know, if, if this book and this Bible study... Uh, you know, you're, you're going to make it more famous than it was. You know, you've written a Bible study on it. We're talking about it. 
uh, we want we want this uh, known and loved, this little book. What do you think it's addressing specifically today? Today, uh, a lot. I think one being, um, though God's grace may not be heralded as the reason that we should have uh, autonomy, I think God's love is. I think we have mischaracterized God to think that because he is love, it makes him passive. Mm. Uh, But God is holy love. And so because he is holy love, his love demands that we respond to him in the way that he deserves, which is to be loved back. (laughs) Mm. But I think also another thing is that one of the things about these teachers is that they had influence. They had prominence. And I mentioned that before. But I do think that we have a habit of believing that because someone is gifted, that that makes them holy. We assume that because they can talk good, that they live good. But Jesus did not say that we identify trees by how good the fruit looks or how good the fruit smells. But is the fruit actually bearing fruit? How is the tree like is it is it rotten? Does it does it smell? Is it is it is it apples coming from a right tree? You get what I'm saying? And so I think we need to get back into the habit at looking at fruit and not talent and how we discern the people that we're listening to. And that's hard to do. The. First of all, the, the book of Jude is what, you're, what we're breaking down for this entire one hour. Where do you want to kind of start in starting to kind of unfold it the way you got to talk for about 40 minutes now. So I just want you to, you know, oh, by I, myself. Mean, I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're, not, we're not going anywhere, but, but just, you know, we, we, we want to start walking through this yeah. the way that you know how to do it. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things about this book is how initially, remember, he says that these people are going unnoticed. That, that's significant because it's saying that you have Christians who are not seeing it. That they, they have the Holy Spirit. You know, they got the word. They got friends that they could talk about, but they're seeing everything but this. And so I think what Jude wants to do is actually give them eyes to see. And the way he does it is that he takes them through the Old Testament. That's one of my favorite parts about Jude is that to read Jude, you actually have to go back to the Old Testament. Yeah. You won't understand what he's talking about if you don't. Uh, he references people like Cain, uh, Korah. Egypt, Balaam. Uh, he talks about Michael the archangel and Moses fighting over the, uh, no, Michael the archangel and the, the devil fighting over the body of Moses, which don't make no sense. It's weird. Why are they fighting over bodies? I don't understand that. Which could be a deterrent to studying this, uh, this book. But one of the things that I wanted to press people into when it came to this study is just because Bible study is difficult doesn't make it impossible. There is some beauty that you can pull out of a text when you sit in it. And so uh, let's start. One of the things he says is that though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in the uh, darkness bound with everlasting chains in a similar way. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. That's harsh. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. But what he's trying to say is God has given us examples 
after example, after a example that God, ungodliness will not go unnoticed. You might not notice it, but God does. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, what that does, I think it should give you an urgency and a compassion. Urgency because it says ah, the people in my world, in my context that are teaching and believing and living things that are anti-gospel, anti-God, God will deal with it one day. That doesn't, it shouldn't make me feel self-righteous that there are people around me that are going to hell. It shouldn't do that. It should make me compassionate. It should make me say, I don't want you to be destroyed in the same way that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. I don't want you to be like the angels who are being kept in eternal chains and darkness. I want you to be like Jesus who was always free. Who, who never had to worry about the judgment of God because he loved his God. Another thing he does, he says that in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their bodies and reject authority and talk about celestial beings. That's interesting because you think, what dreams got to do with this? I have dreams all the time. But if you remember in the Old Testament, dreams were oftentimes prophetic. You have Joseph who had dreams. You have Abraham who had dreams. And so what these people are doing is that they're using their dreams or their prophetic vi visions as reason for why they should be believed over the scriptures. Jeez. We see that a lot. Yeah. Wow. People will say, ah, I heard God tell me this. Uh, I had a dream about this. And it's just like, if that prophetic word don't match up with the word, I can't believe it. Right. I can't listen to it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Another thing he says that's really significant is that he talks about Michael, the archangel, which I said, disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. Again, feels pointless, feels irrelevant. Why are we talking about this? But he also says something really huge. He says, uh, Michael did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So this is what happening. They, I guess uh, Moses dropped dead. Uh, the devil, <laughs> you know, he looked over and he saw the promised land. He said, I can't go there. Uh, then, he, then he dies. Uh, and then the devil comes out of nowhere. Don't know if he was a snake or an angel. Here we go. Right. And Michael and the devil start to have an argument about the body of Moses. Michael, though, he is a huge angel. And I don't mean in size, I mean in authority. He is literally the leading head angel, but he does not take it upon himself to rebuke the devil with his own authority. He says, the Lord rebuke you, right? Mm -hmm. Why does that matter? Because sometimes we forget that we are not the final authority in this world. Wow. I get it. I get it. We want to rebuke the devil but we don't have any authority. We don't have any power. The Lord does. And so what he's trying to emphasize is that even if Michael, the archangel who is in the presence of God, does not take his own authority to rebuke the devil, neither should I. I should be a person who lives in constant subjection and submission to God, the final authority. This is a, this is a heart posture. We as created beings, make uh, it makes us automatically subject to the all authoritative nature of God. We don't have all the power that we want to have. And it's egotistical sometimes. Sometimes we want to feel like we have all this authority. But I think when you remind yourself that God's authority is perfect, it is wise, it is good, it is continual, it means that to submit to his authority is actually the safest place in the world. And so it makes you free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so 
in the body of the letter, those are some of the examples that Jude is using to give us some type of fruit to be able to compare to the people in our midst. So if we are surrounded by people who don't like authority, if we are surrounded by people who are teaching uh, that God is love, therefore you have the right to do whatever you want to do. If we are surrounded by people like Balaam, who he also references, Balaam was willing to teach wrong things because he wanted money. Uh, it may not be money, but it might be followers. It might be status. It might be friendships. You know, it might be channels. I don't know. If we are surrounded by people who do these kinds of things, then those are the people that we need to be concerned about. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay, contending for the faith. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Difficult. Uh, to contend is to fight. Uh, he's, he's calling to mind uh, wrestlers. You know, when you're wrestling with somebody, I don't wrestle, that, that messed my hair up. <laughs> <laughs> and I lose. Because they'll grab my hair. You know, girls used to do that in, in the world. Anyway, um, when you're wrestling with somebody, you're, you're, it's strategic, one, you're looking at their body posture, you're looking at uh, their arms and their legs and seeing wh- where they're gonna go. Uh, you're holding tight, you're gripping. It could, it could be a, 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 a task of endurance sometimes. Wrestling is not a quick thing to win or to lose. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, and it might hurt you, it might be painful. And so I think when he says to contend for the faith, he's saying, hey, to defend these, God, these doctrines, it's going to take some endurance. Mm. It's gonna, it, might, it might hurt a little bit. It's going to take a little time for you to be willing to sit down with a friend and say, hey, I know that what you believe feels true and it seems to line up with your sentiments, but I have to push back against that. Mm. I, I have to because the glory of God is at stake. I know you might be my sister. I know you might be my friend. I know you might be my pastor. But what I'm seeing in the text is not lining up with what you're preaching. And I'm willing to wrestle with you through this for a long time if I have to, but I have to do it. And so that's, that's ultimately what he's saying is that the faith is worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to... There's a... Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of people who have taken this verse wrong. They have contended for the faith in a way that is ungodly. Uh, We've seen these kinds of people outside of gay pride parades saying that God hates gays. Uh, We've met them on university campuses and they talk about Jesus, but they're more hateful than the Pharisees. Right. Wow. And contending for the faith doesn't mean fight people about the faith. Right. We fight for the faith. faith. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think one of the, uh, the challenging things when contending for the faith is that to do it in a way that would honor God, we need the spirit. Mm-hmm. When you think about contending for the faith by the spirit, that means that when I contend from you, for you, I'm kind, I'm joyful, I'm patient, mm-hmm. I have self-control, I'm gentle. Those are fruits of the spirit, Peaceful. right? <laughs> if we saw more Christians contending for the faith like that, mm-hmm. we would see more Christians. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. I, I think we have to wrestle within us. Uh, what is it in us that helps us or, or, or keeps us from contending for the faith in that way? 
Sometimes we're just tired. I'm tired of talking about the same thing. Why won't you just repent? I'm tired of dealing with this. Why won't you just change? But you don't change people with your words. Your words is the means by which the grace of God changes the hearts of a person, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't know God's timeline for the salvation of our friends. We don't know God's timeline for the salvation of our country. We don't know. Sometimes God is preparing a testimony in the people that we are connected to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God needs them to not be saved for another 10 years because he has something to do when he, when he, when he saves mm -hmm. them, you know? Yeah. And so so I think wrestling and figuring out what is it in me that keeps me from doing this in a way that would not only be doctrinally sound, mm -hmm. but also integral, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Is there a personal experience with a friend or somebody that you know that you've had to endure a long wrestling season in regard to a subject <laughs> and that, you know, and don't, don't make it about your husband right now. So let's not do that. Oh, yeah. content for the faith. Yeah. Better Love you. Yeah. I got you. Okay. So basically, uh, but is there, is, is there an example, a category you can help us walk through that, um, you know, you can, you can. You can actually example. talk about I, I, on TV. Yeah, I won't say no names. Yeah. <laughs> we still contending. Um, <laughs> We hope you're enjoying the Praise podcast. We'll get back to the interview soon. I think there's, there's one person in particular um, where I've learned patience because uh, even now I still have this wrestle with God where it's like, Lord, they've heard the gospel. You know, uh, I've said it. People have said it. I keep praying. I've been praying more than a decade and I don't see any fruit. You know, I, I know you are not, your arm is not too short to save, but it seems like you're saving everybody but the people that I'm praying mm -hmm. for. Um, but part of my contending for them is identifying those things that are stumbling blocks to faith. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you have some people who uh, may not have grown up in church, and one of the stumbling blocks of faith is the Christians that they've seen in their midst who don't seem to live a certain kind of way, right? And I say it's a stumbling block to faith because to them, hypocrisy proves that Jesus yeah. is actually not powerful enough to change the person, mm -hmm. right? Why would I believe somebody that hasn't changed you? Yeah. And so part of me <laughs> identifying is actually saying, I get it. You've had some really bad examples of Christians, but you haven't had bad, bad examples of Christ. Mm. When you read the Bible, there is no indictment that you can have on him as a person. And so we don't want to stand before God and say, God, but your people, but your people. And he'll say, but what about okay. me? Yeah. And so part of my effort in contending is to just talk about Jesus. Let's stop talking about all these other people. Let's even stop talking about all these doctrines. Let's talk about the person of God. I think that's part, part of it. Another part... Another wrestle is being willing to answer their questions, no matter how hard it is. And even if I don't know the answer, being humble enough to say, I don't know the answer. <laughs> but let's figure it out together. Yeah. I think non-Christians need to see that Christians don't know everything just because they serve a God that does. Mm. You know, they need to see humility in us. And so just discerning and seeing and doing the study that I need to do so that I'll be able to be available for them and serve them in that way. And so contending is very intimate. It's very personal. This isn't just, let me just tell you the truth all the time. It's actually, no, let me walk with you. Let me serve you. Let me love you. And then when conversations need to be had, let's have them. Mm -hmm. 
So shouting truth across the street. <laughs> it's not it. It's is, not it. Is exactly I mean, not could, what you're talking about. God could use it. He'll use anything, but that's not how I would have got become a Christian. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, but I, I get it. I, I think shouting is easier than loving. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Love is a fruit of the spirit, which tells me that I can't do it naturally. Yep. I need a supernatural mm. power mm. to actually love in the way that God has called me to. And it's actually, it's not only easier to shout, but it makes us feel better about ourselves. Mm. It's some type of Feels weird. Better. Yeah, it just, <laughs> it's some type of weird meanie thing inside of us where we are unwilling to serve people. <laughs> Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. We have God in the flesh putting on aprons and washing people's feet. And he says, if you want to be great, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of this is how is my knowledge of the scripture and my love for God making me a better servant? Not preacher, but servant, mm -hmm. you know? And I think if we did that more, uh, things would be easier. Okay, yeah. move on. Let's get, keep going. We almost closed. It's only 25 verses. <laughs> <laughs> the book of Jude, yeah. uh, Jackie Hill Perry, uh, so contending mm -hmm. for the faith in today's culture. It's available all sorts of places, but I'm sure Amazon has it right now. Okay, yeah. keep going. So after he lays out all of these pictures of Egypt, of Sodom and Gomorrah, of Cain and Abel, of Michael, of Balaam, of uh, Korah, uh, he gets very uh, practical and pragmatic. We as Christians love practical stuff. How, how do I pray Longer than 10 minutes. What, how do I start a church? We love these kinds of questions. I, I can't answer none of them, but here we are. Uh, in verse 20 is when he gets practical. He says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Let's walk through that. Okay. One. He begins by recalling back to the introduction by calling them dear friends. He is writing to people that he knows and he loves. These are not strangers. And he tells them to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. When, when you look at Paul's word, Paul often talks about uh, being built up as an as a, as a edifice where God's temple, like we are God's temple where the spirit of God will reign, right? And so to build yourselves up in the holy faith is to do all the tools that you need to do to make sure that your faith is strong. Because I have seen so many people, faiths wane when they get pushback. That's why you see so many people when they go to university, they never had any pushback against their faith. And now all of a sudden by sophomore year, their faith is gone mm. because they were not building themselves up in their most holy faith. So you, how do you do that? You do that by praying, mm -hmm. by talking to Jesus, by spending time with Jesus. How do you do that? By reading your word and not only reading it, but applying it. Mm. Uh, I, I remember the woman that discipled me. One time I posted a status about something I saw in the Bible and she said, have you even had time to apply that yet? <laughs> I said, nah, it sounded good. <laughs> no, but I want to. It sounded good. She said, you don't want to get in the habit of preaching about what you ain't lived yet. Oh. And so not just yeah. reading this text, but begging God to help us live this text. Yeah. What's another way to build yourself up in your most holy faith? By being in community. Huge. 
Uh, I said this before and I'll say it again. God is by nature a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He made us in His image. We look the least like God when we separate ourselves from other people. Wow. Mm. If God is a community, what makes you think you look like Him when you don't want to be in community? And so one of the ways that we build ourselves up is by being with other believers who can empower us and pray for us and love on us and mm. challenge us and exhort us and, and, and commission us in all the ways that we need to. So that's mm. extremely practical. Another thing he says is to pray in the Holy Spirit. I know some people think that's tongues. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, to pray in the Holy Spirit is to say, pray in such a way that the Holy Spirit guides how you pray. Mm. In the same way that the Holy Spirit is to guide how you live, let him guide your prayer life. So a way to gauge if the Spirit is in your prayers is how do you pray? Do you just pray for yourself all the time? Are they lazy? Are they zealous? Are you falling asleep? <laughs> Are they compassionate? Are you praying for your enemies? Are you being honest? Are you being real? Are you being God honoring? Uh, are you praying for the concerns of your community, your home, your church? Like praying in a way that the Holy Spirit has to be involved. And you have to do that in submission to the Spirit. And so I don't go into prayer feeling like, oh, I've been praying long enough, I know how to do this. I'm saying, God, help me pray in a way that would honor you. That's a prayer, <laughs> but God be present in my prayers. He also says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. That, this is one of the most complicated verses that I studied because I didn't understand what that meant. To, to keep myself in the love of God can sound like works righteousness. It can sound like, so am I working for God's love? But he's, he's literally using the same language that uh, Jesus used in Paul, uh, not Paul, in John, when he said, abide in my love. In essence, he's saying, make home in my love, stay in my love, sit in my love, live in my love. The way you do that is by having hope because he says, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that will bring you to eternal life. Hope helps you keep going. Mm -hmm. When you don't believe that eternal life is on the way, when you don't believe that God is coming back, when you don't believe that God is going to keep you, you can get pretty discouraged. Sure. This world is ugly. You know, we might not be ugly, but the world is. <laughs> 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 and so we need the hope and the hope secures us to say, I'm not going to go into the love of a man that's not my husband. I'm not going to go into the love of the world. I'm not going to go into the love or pornography. I'm not going to go into the love of sexual perversion. I'm not going to go into the love of greed and lying. Those things might feel like they love you, but idols don't have the capacity to love you back in the way that you love them. Yeah. And so what we need to do is keep ourselves in the love of God, because that is a real and a lasting and a true and a holy love. God's love will never destroy you like these idols will. Uh, then he says... In verse 22 and 23, more pragmatic things. Be merciful to those who doubt. To have mercy is to be compassionate. It's to say those who are wavering, don't know what to believe. Be compassionate towards them. I can be very impatient because I'm a very binary black and white person. It's either you like almond milk or you don't, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so my lack of mercy my lack of impatience will affect how I contend, right? Right. And so he's saying to have mercy on these people. But not only that, 
It says, save others by snatching them from the fire to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the flesh. One of the things about verses 22 and 23, I love this, is he's showing you that there are different methods for different people. There are some that doubt. There are some that need to be snatched out of the fire. There are some that you have to show mercy mixed with fear. Like just because one method worked for one person doesn't mean that the other method will work for another person. Right. We need to be flexible in our ministry, which means we need to be attentive and we need to be prayerful to be able to discern God. Is this somebody that I'm supposed to be just merciful with or is this somebody that I need to be a little forceful with by snatching them out of the fire? Uh, when he talks about snatching them out of the fire, he means this is a person that's beyond doubt. They're not just wrestling. Their feet are close to the flames. They have, they are, they have almost given up on God. They're saying, this temptation is too hard to resist. Uh, this, this is too, I don't, I don't see God coming through. I don't think that I can stay faithful. So let me just try this a little bit. Let me just taste that a little bit. Let me just do this. And you have to discern that this person needs a forceful hand. That doesn't mean I abuse. Mm -hmm. It means I'm a little more aggressive in my technique. And so there was a, a girl I was walking with in discipling. She was just off the chain. And <laughs> I had to talk to her and say, the route you are going is the route of destruction. Uh, you, you are to a point that I, you ever talk to people and you see their eyes glazing over with truth? Wow. They're in the, they're, they're a church and they don't care. They're becoming apathetic. They used to worship and they just can't anymore. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. Everything that you say to them, there's a pushback, there's defense. Mm -hmm. Their tweets get all uh, rambunctious and obnoxious. <laughs> and so <laughs> to those people, I have to be discerning to say, I have to be a little more uh, aggressive with you. But he also says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment or the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To show mercy with fear is to say, there are some that you are to be compassionate with while at the same time making sure that you fear God and hate sin. That's what he means by hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's basically a metaphor to hate anything related to being defiled or sin. The reason that that is important, because how many Christians do you know that show compassion to the point that they became complicit? Okay, we're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. It's everywhere. But that's because they stopped fearing God. Yeah. There is the temptation to start to love your neighbor more than you love God. And when you love your neighbor more than you love God, you are disort you are mixing the love. God, Jesus said. The first and the best commandment is to love your Lord, the Lord God with all your heart, mind and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I cannot love my neighbor well if I am not loving God above all. Right. right? Wow. And so I need or to make right. Yes. You can't love him right either. No, you can't. Yeah. And so I think showing compassion has to be paired with fearing the Lord. And so I get it. There are some situations in some scenarios where we want people to be happy. There are people in our lives that we, we know that if we told them the truth, it might mess up the relationship. Or we know if we told them the truth, it might make them suffer a little more. But we have to be willing to fear God anyway and say, I, this goes against all of my sentiments. I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I love God enough to love you and to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And so make sure that in your effort to be compassionate, you are fearing 
God. Why don't you do just a little recap of the book of Jude and then kind of land the plane for us a little bit, you know? So Jude, uh, verse 1 tells you a little about Jude. Uh, It says, Jude, brother of James and servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jude was written by Jesus' brother. Uh, which is cool to, to read it and to recognize that he doesn't even relate to Jesus as a family member, but as a servant. Mm-hmm. And so you're reading the letter of a very humble man. Uh, he writes to this church. It's not clear what church he wrote to, you know, how, how Paul would say, writing to the church of Corinth or Ephesus. We don't know what church he wrote to, but he wrote to somebody. Um, and he says that he wrote initially, he wanted to talk about their common salvation, but he found it necessary to appeal to them to contend for the faith, contending for the faith, meaning to fight for the essential doctrines of the Bible and of the scriptures. Uh, the point is, is that when you have people meddling with what the Bible has to say, then you have people meddling with the glory of God. Uh, This isn't uh, a call to contend for the faith so we can be dope Christians that know how to fight or dope Christians that know how to, you know, prove someone wrong in an argument. This is all about the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that's his his aim Uh, in the letter. He has these examples from the Old Testament as to what these false teachers may or may not be looking like. And so he talks about Korah, uh, who had a problem with the authority of Moses. He talks about Balaam, who was greedy. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, who were sexually perverse. He talks about all these instances of people sinning against God, but he also talks about the judgment. We don't like judgment. makes us feel awkward. makes us feel weird. Uh, But I think to recognize that God is Lord and that God is holy and that God is good means that God has to be a just judge. For him to be a just judge, he must deal with injustice. And the primary injustice of all mankind is that we have sinned against the sinless one. And so because of that, he wants to remind us that though these people might be going unnoticed, God will notice them and deal with it. Uh, He tells them towards the end, though, the way you can contend for the faith is to be merciful to those who doubt, to show compassion mixed with fear, hating him in the garment stained by the flesh, which is to say, uh, as you show compassion, as you love your neighbor, make sure you fear your God, too, uh, because compassion can become complicity if you let it. Uh, Then he ends up ending this book with this doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praise. It's basically the shortest worship song you'll ever read. Uh, It's It's a beautiful doxology. I'll read it verbatim. He says uh, in verse 24, he says to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be dominion, authority, majesty. I I mixed that up. Uh, You can read it. Uh, (laughs) Forever and ever. Amen. Uh, To walk through that, he says to him who is able to keep you. If you have any understanding of yourself, any self-awareness, then you know that you are hard to be kept because you're difficult. Uh, You got Israel who uh, one minute they worship in the Lord thy God with all their might. Then the next minute they want to go back to Egypt because they hungry. Yeah. (laughs) We are fickle people. You have uh, David who one minute is worshiping God. He is called a man after God's own heart. And then the next minute he is killing Uriah just because he had the man's baby. Well, not his baby, but he yeah. had this. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. You have 
Then you got us. You have Peter who uh, asked Jesus to walk on water. And then as soon as the wind and the waves get a little crazy, he starts to doubt his God. It shows us that consistently people of faith have a very hard time staying faithful. That's, wow. that's, that, that's the emphasis. And so for, Paul, for Jew to say to him who was able to keep you from falling is to say that you have a God whose hand is stronger than your legs. You might not be able to keep yourself in the will of God as much as you try, but he going to do it for you. Mm. He is that strong and he is that powerful. <laughs> and so I think that would encourage me. Yeah. Uh, I'm in this culture and this world where everybody around me wants to do what they want to do. And everybody around me is just falling by the wayside. But I have a God who is saying, mm. no, I am more than able to keep you from falling. And this is not a... Mm. a mm. Amen. Oh <laughs> and this is not just saying you won't fall. Mm -mm. You will. This is a eschatological fall. Like God is able to keep you falling finally. For example, you have Peter again, who uh, Jesus told him, hey, uh, when the rooster crows three times, you will uh, deny me. What did he do? He denied him. And then when Jesus restored him over dinner, he says, hey, uh, you're, I pray for you that your faith would not fail. Somebody could be confused by that because they, they could say, Jesus, he denied you, though. So his faith failed. But I would say his faith did not fail eternally. It failed momentarily. Mm -hmm. So even my momentary falls will not exclude for me from being able to stand before God's presence. Beautiful. Faultless. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, he says that God is not only able to keep you from falling, but that God is going to present you without Fault. So he's playing with contrast by saying God is not only able to keep you from falling, but God is able to keep you standing. Not only that, he's going to present you as if you've never done anything in your entire life. If you know anything about being without fault or without blemish, you know that that's connecting back to the Old Testament. One of the things God always demanded of his people in their sacrifice is that they could not have any blemish because God wanted that which was presented to him to be representative of himself. God has no faults. God has no blemishes. He is perfect. He is spotless. He's so pretty. He is just, he is just a perfect God. But we know enough about ourselves that we know the moment we were born, we had faults. Why? Because we were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Half of us got faults right now in our mind that God <laughs> himself is going to deal with. And so that's the predicament is that if God is holy and we are not, how in the world will I be able to stand before him without being judged by him? But that's the beauty of Jesus mm. is that Jesus became the spotless lamb without blemish who took on your blemishes so that you wouldn't have to stand before God and be judged. Mm. Jesus took on the burden and the wrath and the dirt and the nastiness so that when we stand before God, we stand purely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. This is why Jude has the audacity to say that God will not only be able to keep you, but when you stand before him, you will stand as if you have never committed a sin wow. in your entire life. That is the lavishness of grace that these people want to pervert. Beautiful. Wow. Jackie, right there is a good time to tell somebody that's ready for that. They want this good news. Um, how do they how do they accept this? How do, how do they seal this deal? Woo. <laughs> I think they have to know who they are and who Jesus is. Um, 
who you are, how you started, <laughs> was that you were born in sin. Uh, but before you were born in sin, you were thought of in the mind of God. You were born as an image bearer, which means that you have dignity, which means that you are important, which means that you have purpose, your primary purpose being to love God with all your heart, mind and soul. But you were born in a lineage of people with bad blood. Uh, you were born after Adam. And so because you were born after Adam, your default is to distrust God. Your default is to believe that your affection should have the final say over how you how you live your life. Your default is to believe that you know better than the all wise God. And so because of this, you most likely have went through your life making decisions that God would not have you to make. You have most likely picked up a few idols on the way, whether it be pride, uh, uh, arrogance, ego, greed, lying, pornography, addiction, uh, adultery, all kinds of things. Even if you've never cre uh, committed any of these grievous sins, the fact that your heart is not submitted to God is the primary idolatry for which you are to repent. Uh, repentance is a good word. It's good news because it says that you actually have the ability to change. Uh, to repent is to turn from something. What you are turning from is your sin and the unbelief that fueled it. It's the unbelief that says that I know better than God. God is calling all of humanity to repent, to turn from worthless things, to turn from idols, to turn from unbelief, to turn from pride, to turn. But you don't turn towards yourself. You don't do a 360. You do a 180. You turn towards somebody and that somebody is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus was born after Adam too, but different from you in that he was born as the God man because he existed before anything existed. He is the creator of all creatures. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one that, G or that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6 when he saw the train of his robe fill the temple and the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the Jesus that we're talking about that was born as a baby. And this Jesus lived a life submitted to the real God. He lived a life perfect and acceptable and righteous and pure. He loved his neighbor. He prayed and he healed and he resurrected Lazarus. He did all of these great things, but then he had the audacity to die. And he didn't just die for anybody, but he died for all of those that would call on his name. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty of your idolatry. He took the penalty of your sin on himself. It says even in the Bible that it got dark for a couple hours. That wasn't because the sun left. That was because the, the wrath of God was present. There was darkness because judgment was on, in the room, but that judgment was on your sin. Therefore, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he is all that he says that he is and has done all that he will do, all that he has done, then you will not face the judgment of God in the same way that Jesus did. You will actually be empowered to love the Lord thy God in a way that has always been impossible for you. But not only that, he not only lives, he not only died, but he resurrected. That's super important because if he was still dead, we wouldn't have any hope. But the fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that I, who believe in him, have the power to overcome sin and death in the same way. But not only that, he didn't just live and he didn't just die and he didn't just raise, but he also sent us somebody. He did not send us an angel. He did not send us uh, some random. He sent us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit Thank to you, empower us.
to love God. And so, if you never knew, that was the gospel. Uh, Paul said that if you believe in this gospel, you'll be saved. And so the challenge is, believe it. If you don't, ask God to help you, because even that is belief. It's the belief that God is able to help you believe. Uh, faith is a gift. You can't work it up. It's not a feeling. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 that the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light that is in the face of Jesus Christ. But it is God who said, let there be light who is shown in our hearts to give us this light. So we need God to unveil our eyes where we can see that Jesus is the most beautiful being in all of the earth. Yeah. You will not turn from your sin because of fear of hell. You will turn from your sin when you see that Jesus is better than everything you have ever loved in your entire life. Yeah. This program, all we've done is unpack the book of Jude so good. <laughs> and talked about Jesus. Yeah. That's what this network was raised up to do, Jackie. You've done an amazing job uh, today. We've got a couple of minutes left. Take the book of Jude and wrap it up and give us an assignment in which to uh, make our lives better and the lives you know, of people around us. You know, it, it talks about having compassion or reaching those that we're snatching out of hell. Yeah. I think in 2020, we've talked about how relevant this is for now. I think there's a lot of people that don't care. Yeah. You know, the, the tempers are so quick to, um, to snap and you don't really care if someone goes to hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think um, you were just making the gospel so beautiful just now. Um, but to care and to help my unbelief, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but to those who are quick to not care yeah. about other people, other... Yeah, um, I think of Jonah. You know, Jonah was doing all that he could to keep himself from having to preach the gospel to people who were mm -hmm. different from him uh, to the point that he was willing to jump off a ship <laughs> to avoid preaching the gospel. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, and I That's think good. that we are all probably prone to that kind of apathy. And that is a godlessness uh, that too actually needs to be repented of. Mm -hmm. Because if we say that we love God, then how can we also not love our neighbor? You're right. First uh, John talks about how your Christianity is to be called into question if you don't walk in love. And one of the ways you walk in love is by showing compassion to people who need it. Mm. And so I guess to those who are apathetic, one prayer might be that God would show them that. You know, because sin blinds you. Right. You might think that you love people because you bought some Girl Scout cookies. Mm. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Girl Scout cookies. Come on. <laughs> Where we need God to show us. And so I guess that that's what I would say. I think to your point, I think overall, man, um, Jesus is coming back. Yes. You know, like he he is on the way. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if it's going to be tonight. That would be great. I wouldn't have to do my hair ever again. Um, but I want as many people to go with me when he comes. Yeah. Uh, I just want 
to be in heaven with as many faces as I can possibly be. And the only way that I could do that is to tell the truth to my neighbor, whoever my neighbor is. If they are the barista at Starbucks, if they are the person that washes my car, if they are my nanny, my hairdresser, whatever it is. And there's something about when you have met God that to talk about God becomes impulsive. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe we all need to be reminded that we are all miracles, that we all in essence are a kind of Lazarus. You can't tell me that when Lazarus rose from the dead, he could not stop talking about it. Yeah. That he he could not stop yeah. telling people, hey, y'all know I used to be dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus came. I didn't even ask him to wake me up because I couldn't speak. Dead mm. people don't talk. But Ephesians said that all of us were dead in our sin and trespasses. Mm. And so yes. how is it that God can make us alive and we don't want to boast about it? You ain't even got to know a whole bunch of theology. Right. If you just tell people what God did for you, yes. that is enough to save many. Yes. And so maybe we just need to give back to the truth that we are miracles. Therefore, we need to tell people about the God who set us free. Come on. Come on. So good. Wow. Uh, I think you're amazing. So what I've taken away is sometimes you need to be very gentle and read the book of Jude to some people. And sometimes you need to smack them upside the head. <laughs> With a KJV, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, your last challenge to all of us from the little tiny book of Jude. Last challenge. Man, uh, do as Jude said, which is to contend for the faith. But as you do it, trust God to help you to do it well. Um, and know that it's not ultimately your efforts, you know? I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as Christians. I gotta know the right answers. I gotta go to seminary. I gotta, I gotta pray for 17 hours and make sure I do whole 30 and call it a fast and that will help me out. Uh, but God is with you. Uh, in Matthew 28, God says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he ends it with this promise. He says, and I will be with you. Mm. Every time you look in the whole Old Testament, when somebody has been commissioned, whether it's Mo Moses or Joshua, there is always a promise of presence. And so you are not by yourself in your work to contend for the faith. Yeah. God is with you and that's a fact yeah so <laughs> i love good. that so good jackie so there's this little company mm. called uh amazon and they have this really <laughs> amazingly fast service um this is available Daddy, the book so of jude has been completely uh studied contending for the faith mm. in today's culture jackie hill perry it's available now call uh, the number on the screen and get she is amazing at spoken word too you can go on YouTube all kinds of stuff thank you and um, watch she's amazing I love you Jen. I love you too I think you're amazing thank I really do you. we'll I see you next time one fan. <laughs> bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of TBN's Praise Podcast if you enjoyed today's interview be sure to subscribe to the podcast share it with a friend and consider leaving a review we look forward to having you join us back here next week.